Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. J.M. Samlin is back again. Thank you, Jamie, for coming back. Oh, thank you for having me. You are such a wonderful author, and I love that your work is so diverse and eclectic and inclusive, and I'm, I'm just super thrilled that we get to showcase everything your imagination comes up with. Thank you. Super fun. Um, today, for today's episode, there is a listener advisory for mature situations. So if you have tiny ears within listening distance, you might want to preview this episode before you invite the little ones to listen in. Uh, today's book is um, Arcanum, which is an LBGT, LBGTQ. See, I always, I have a hard time with that. Alphabet Mafia. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but it's fantasy. So, um, so it's a super inclusive story and it's fantasy. So super accessible. Um, and I, I invite everybody to discover this story along with me. I have not read it yet and I'm looking forward to hearing the preview today. Um, for those of you who have not met Jamie, he is a fantasy author based in Canton, Michigan. He is passionate about creating vivid worlds and compelling characters that transport readers to new realms of imagination. Drawing inspiration from his love of storytelling, Jamie spends his free time playing board games, role-playing with friends, and indulging in other hobbies like martial arts and home repair. Um, when he is not writing, Jamie often is found lost in thought, dreaming up new and exciting stories to share with readers alongside his husband and their cats. And just for the record, because everybody accuses me of ignoring the cats too much, tell us your cats' names. Okay, uh, Isabel's the eldest. She's our old queen. Uh, Sheldon is orange. That's his whole personality. Uh, Wolfgang <laughs> is uh, Russian blue. He's... Uh, He's the whiny little tiny baby. And then Cabot is the youngest, and he's um, he's a flame point Siamese, and he's insane, but he's a sweet little lovey boy. <laughs> How wonderful. Okay. Um, tonight's story, give me a little bit of the backstory setup for this book. Yeah. So um, Arcanum is, oh, I don't really even remember how, how I first got the ideas for it, but it was... Um, I, I, it was a story that I would have wanted to read like through high school. So it has, it stars uh, Elvin Galmoth, who is just kind of a loner. He's, he's um, doesn't really like people. He's always lived this very, um, uh, he lives out in the country. Uh, his, he's never had to deal with large groups of people. So he doesn't know how to deal with people in a lot of ways. 
And he's also never really experienced any kind of um, chance for intimacy. So this book is kind of very early on, it's thrown at him and he doesn't know what to do with it. And he's completely lost in it and rejects it and has to kind of allow himself the chance to feel something for someone else. Um, so he, he his, his whole family is just messed up in so many different ways. Um, his father was just kind of disappeared. He was he was a drunk and then just disappeared one day. His mother, um, which will will sit here in the prologue, was was exiled a couple of years ago. His sister was married off to um, to a, 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 a prince right before the mother was exiled, so she's doing off doing her own thing. And then the son is a monk, or I'm sorry, her his uh, brother is a monk. So they're that's all an, doing their own. That's an eclectic family mix right oh, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. fun! What a great stage to build a story in. Yeah. with all those different voices coming together that that's yes. a really cool thing i am super excited to hear your story will you please take the microphone and read aloud yes of course prologue selena tore the page from the notebook ripping away any excess and folding it to a tight square she shoved that deep into her bodice of blue silk as the banging on the front door started she dipped her quill again and smoothed out a fresh full sheet by order of his majesty, King Pierce the Sixth, come, came the strange and familiar voice muffled through the heavy door. Open immediately, she wrote faster. The thumping continued. Selena, are you going to answer that? She looked up at the man standing in the entryway of the dining room, wearing a disheveled gray suit, his hair a mess. Go out back to the garden, smiles. Her eyes lingered on the crystal glass of amber drink in his fists and returned to her furious writing. He walked past her while the banging and shouting continued. Miles, no! Selena watched him walk through the library to the foyer, gripping her quill tighter as, she, as with each step he took until he reached to unlock the front door. Ah, worthless object, she whispered, leaning back in her velvet armchair as soldiers in red and gold shoved her poultry excuse for a husband out of the way, flooding the manor. They surrounded her, muskets cocked and raised, as she paid them no minds, she set her quill back to his inkwell among the neat stacks of manifests and invoices. The click of a steel cane on the polished tile pierced her mind, regular with the limping gates of the one who wielded it. Selena folded her arms and uh, folded her hands on the desk in front of her as a man in voluminous robes strode through her front door. She pushed back on her chair and stood, smoothing out the creases of her silver dress. Inquisitor Nilraki, Selena ran her tongue over her teeth, tasting the foulness of the man's name. She sniffed, curling her nose at the miasma of tobacco and herbal remedies surrounding the Inquisitor when, when he stopped within an arm's reach. Lady Gallimath, he said, and reached to snatch the page from the desk beside her. His dark eyes scanned the words quickly and drifted back to meet hers, along with a predatory grin. You maintain your lives, it would seem. Selena raised her chin to look down her nose at the Inquisitor. The princess, his hand flashed across her cheeks, snapping her head to the side. She looked back at him slowly, the coppery taste of blood filling her mouth. You will keep the princess's name from your traitorous mouth, Nilraki said. Selena spat blood onto the man's face. Nilraki didn't flinch. He tucked his steel cane into the crook of his elbow and held the single sheet of her missive, tearing it in half before passing it to a soldier. He tossed it into the small fire in the hearth. He only then raised a gloved hand to wipe away the blood.
blood and spit from his cheek, flicking it to the floor. Guards, leave us. The men in gold and red exchange hesitant glances before they retreated from the study. It's not often, I hear, that a man finds a vocation that he truly enjoys performing. Milronki pulled the leather glove from his right hand, one finger at a time as he spoke. Rare that the vocation is one such as mine, with such a profound importance to the proper function of the town. She won't succeed. Someone else will stop her. The king thinks you, Lady Gelmoth, but your services will no longer be required. Inquisitor Nilronki shot out his right hand to touch her neck. Electricity arced through her, dropping her to her knees with a single cry. It only lasted a moment. Then he was tugging on his glove, grinning. You're one of them. She held a hand to her neck, falling backward against a chair. He tapped his cane on the floor, grinning down at her. One of what? Anything you'll say is just the ravings of a felon. He laughed, stepping back. Guards, bring the irons. Oh man, I stopped working. Chapter one. Surrounded by the musty smell of leather and parchment, Elvin Galmoth traced unstained fingers down a column of invoice numbers. The values didn't add up, not without considering at least two other books laid out in front of him. He brushed the feathery end of his quill across his lips and made yet another note of the discrepancies in the ledger directly in front of him. Elvon reached across the table and tugged another book from the middle of the stack, scattering those above it into a pile. He flipped across the pages to find one he'd earmarked and groaned at the numbers that matched nothing else in front of him. I have the post for you, said a small voice, breaking through Elvon's concentration. Happy for any distraction, Elvon looked up from the ledgers to see Senna enter and place a stack of papers beside him. Thank you. Setting his quill back in the inkwell, he took the daily news on top of the pile, shook it open to scan over the headlines. Another raid on an artist family is fierce. Barely a week goes by with, without one. I wonder how they find them all. They can only catch them in the act, Senna said, while straightening and stacking the papers and tones enough to clear space to serve lunch. Otherwise, they're no different from the rest of us. I hope they at least find all of these people, eventually. Senna paused with a, paused with a stack of loose parchment in her hands and gave Elvon a knowing look. Really, Elvon? You of all people are cheering on the Inquisitors? Elvon waved off the question and, or waved off the conversation, flipped through the other pages, pausing at a narrow sales ad of people selling furniture and clothing in bulk. That'll be me soon. He roughly folded the paper and tossed it back on the stacks of ledgers with data spanning decades before. Picking up a thin stack of envelopes, he set aside the past due bills and invoice notices until he held a single red square of folded parchment with his name written in a looping hand. He tore it open and flattened the letter, letting his eyes travel first to the delicate signature at the bottom. It's from Her Royal Majesty, the High Duchess, he blew out a loud breath and read the shortness of the shoulders and heart sinking with each sentence. Senna chuckled, <laughs> and how is your sister? She set a bowl of cold soup and pressing bread at the head of the table. She's invited herself to visit. That'll be nice. I was visiting my mom the last time she was here. I think I've only seen her once since she moved out, if you say so. Melvon tossed the letter onto the top of Bill's and pushed back in his chair to move to the head of the table. His eyes grazed over the dusty trinkets on the fireplace mantle and the dingy tint of the curtains framing the floor to ceiling windows looking out over the overgrown garden. The dining table, that only a few years ago had served a noble house, now lay covered with a mess of thick tones, the only place in the house large enough for Elvon to spread out his work. When is she coming? Senna asked. Next week, 
She's not bringing her husband's, but I know she'll probably have the handmaidens trailing her. At least I doubt Princess Lorelei will come. I can't very well deny playing hosts, but he let the sentence hang with a sigh. Senna knew as well as he the financial state of the Gelmonts. You have more books out than, than usually see with you, or than I usually see you with, said Senna. You have to be making some progress. Elvon snorted and paused with a hand on the chair's back. My mother was a true master of maneuvering money. I wonder if I'll ever understand her method. He reached to pick up a smaller notebook, fanned his thumb across the, the edge quickly, and tossed it back on the pile. Layers upon layers, so much more complicated than it should be. I still don't doubt her innocence, but I don't know, deliberately obfuscating the finances would make a lesser man wonder. Sitting in front of the cold soup, he flourished a cloth napkin over his thigh. With your determination, I'm sure you'll find the truth in it. She picked up the stacks of papers, marginally neater than the others, and walked her fingers through the pages. What are these? What's magpie A with? Is that how you pronounce that? They're invoices for shopping spheres. My mother spent a lot of steel there, but I can't trace the items she purchased. <clears throat> Why don't you go there and find out? Take a trip to, into town and this shop. A change of scenery might help you. Elvon Spoon paused halfway to his lips. <laughs> You're joking, right? Sutta took a half step back and pulled her arms before her. You really should go. I haven't seen you leave the house in weeks. Elvon looked down at his rumpled clothes. I think it would be better to stay out of the public eye for a while longer. I'm still scarred from what happened with the Council of Houses. Besides, I can't scrape together the steel coin for a carriage. I can barely find enough for your wages, and he waved at the stack of bills a few chairs away. With that, Sutta pulled back another step, picking at the fraying fringe of her apron. I, I have a bit stashed away. There should be enough. What? Sutta, no. Don't be silly. I'll be fine. I. She looked down at the fully to fully focus on the apron. I will not steal from the last person left me in this world just to go. He watched her fidget at the hem, not meeting his eyes. What is it? Senna took a deep breath, raising her chin, her eyes glimmering bunch of tears. The K house has reached out to me. They need a governess. See, Elvin set his spoon down and watched it reflect the distorted image of the ceiling's mural. Better K than Sirhain. Have you responded? Yes. Her single word shot through him like a nail into the lid. I'll start there the first of next month. They wanted me sooner, but I couldn't leave you on such short notice. I've been trying all this last week to find a time to tell you. I'm sorry. I held out as long as I could. There's nothing to be sorry for. We all knew this would happen eventually. Elvon looked up at the governess, the maid who faithfully served him every day for almost two decades, who had stuck with him through his family's darkest moments these last few years. His mother hired her when Senna was his age, and she gave him gave her best years serving a failed house. Oh, if they want you sooner, you should go straight away. He forced a smile, even though his eyes burned. I couldn't, young master. I can't leave you alone, especially now with the Duchess coming. It's no longer your concerns. You've gone so far beyond your duties for years. I won't hold you back a single day. She focused on the apron so again. Thank you. I'll set up a flare and get my steel. Elvon knew the carriage probably would drain the last bit of her steel in the private coffers, but Elvon's mother taught him to never refuse a gift. He stood and took her hand in one of his. Thank you, Senna. I will pay you back in more. He wanted to kiss her on the cheek, but she stepped away with a curtsy, never raising her eyes as she fled the room. He watched her leave, her tan and blue uniform disappearing around the to the service ring, and raised his eyes to the mural overhead to peck 
depicting, depicting the sovereign king and all his divine abstract glory. Melbourne muttered a curse to it. Along to the stack of ledgers spread over the dining table and several more while he closed the binding on the book he used for his note-taking. A long piece of leather attached to the book's cover, ending in an ornate silver key. Elvon wrapped the leather twice around the book, tucking the key between the strap and cover, securing the book closed before turning to the empty dusty halls on the way back to his room. Elvon turned right where the grand staircase split and paused at the top. He glanced behind him through the dim shafts of light to the double doors at the far end of the hall, to, where, to what was his parents' bedroom. He had every right to move into that room with his wide south-facing south windows that overlooked the valley and river, but it somehow felt wrong, like giving up on his parents ever returning to the house. Beside those, his sister's room was the second largest. Despite him being the eldest, she got the larger room because, as their mother said, girls need more space. Del Delphina would never return to live here. He scratched his head and strode into his childhood room, even living for the last two years with only the dwindling manor staff and soon to be completely alone. Elvon never spread out from here. Every object he acquired over his last 19 years, he kept in this relatively small space with narrow windows facing the north to never feel the sun. He crossed to the wardrobe, pulled out the chest, tucked into the bottom, and dug through it to find a set of plain gray and tan, tan traveler's garbs. Elvon held it against him uh, before the full-length mirror and muttered a curse, still fit. He wore roughly the same size now as when Sir Bazadon gifted him clothes almost three years ago. I'll go to town, but not as Elvon again. Tomorrow I'll be... A smile flickered at the edges of his lips. I'll be Tristan Griffith, wandering scholar. He clutched the, the clothes closer and, and grinned. The story of Tristan's life blossomed in his mind, a persona he would adopt with no one noticed in the city. Tristan wasn't some disgraced noble shunned by his peers. Tristan's father, a local merchant of no particular fame, praised him. His mother died when he was young, but father didn't like to talk about it. Tristan came to Spiris in search of a rare book dealer. No, no one shook his head. Rare book dealers were, well, rare. Textiles, that's boring enough. Maybe this was Tristan's first time away from Spell Village home. But he's not a wandering scholar yet. He just aspires to be one someday. A knock at the door frame. Elvon yelped and dropped the clothes. Senna stood at the threshold, holding a small leather sack. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I saw the response player from town, she said while pulling at the strings of the bag. The carriage will be here first thing in the morning, young master. She crossed the room to stand near him by the mirror. Playing a bit of dress up? Elvon's cheeks burned. I think it might be easier to move around the town if no one recognizes me. You can't hide from the other houses forever. Elvin looked down at the dark pouch she pressed into his palm, feeling the weight of the coins within it. His eyes burned again. I don't know what to say, Senna. Empty-handed, she took a step back. It's been an honor to serve you all these years. This isn't goodbye forever, just for a little while. I know you're close to understanding your mother's books. If not, maybe I could get the case financier to help. That would be the last thing he would want for a rival family to understand his mother's embezzlement and money laundering. She unclipped a ring of keys from her apron and handed those to him as well. I, goodbye, Alvon. She leaned forward to kiss his cheek and was gone a heartbeat later. Alvon stood alone in his room with a maid's savings in one hand, the keys to his manor in the other, and a set of unassuming travelers close at his feet. Thank you very much. Great reading. So tell me who in this story is your favorite character and why? Uh, 
Well, and Elvon is, um, I love Elvon because he is kind of a bit of a self-insert for me, like who I was at 19 if I were then also different at 19. So him, but then also there was the quick mention to uh, Sarvazadon. And um, Sarvazadon was actually the story that started this book. Um, I'm remembering this now, so I'll come back. Uh, I had written a story, a 3,000 word short story for a local contest. And it was it was um, called Losing My Magic Story. And it starred uh, Sarvazadon and his partner in crime, um, Elrathon Spearguard. And the two of them had just slain the Daemon Lord, and they were they were working their way out of um, out of the Daemon Lord's um, lair. And the, but he had the magic sword that it alone contained the power to defeat the Daemon Lord. And um, but the sword, uh, I won't get too much into it, but it was very um, PG thirteen plus the kind of thoughts the sword put into his mind. Okay, as it's being used. So Sarvazadon, the noble knight, once he gets to the end, he's like. Gross and throws the sword away. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so it's not is Bugs Bunny's magic sword and helmet. <laughs> uh, it is not. No, yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> so, but then that Servazan is this this pillar of of honor and nobility, and he ends up turning into the nanny that raises Elvon and his two siblings um, alongside Senna, who we met in this chapter one. So. I, I love Cervasadon. He doesn't have a, a large role in the in this book, but he is in there. Um, Drace is the love interest. Drace is wonderful, but he's um, he's he's nice and mysterious, and um, of course very attractive. So he's got that going for him. Yeah. <laughs> you always have so, to have one of those, right? <laughs> yeah, you always got to have the you know the wiring so hot guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is this a standalone, or do you see this as part of a future series? It is currently a standalone. Um, I do have thoughts for this to become in, uh, turn into a, a duology. Uh, so the first book is based completely around Drace's, or I'm sorry, Elvon's point of view. Um, so he's an unreli unreliable narrator as well. So that's, I think it's always fun to bring a bit of chaos with the unreliable sure, narrator. Yeah. Um, the next book I have thoughts for will be some number of years in the future. It will be Drace as the main character. Um, essentially becoming a sky pirate. I don't know the exact details on that, but he becomes a sky pirate because there's a quick, real blinking-you-miss-it moment of airships existing in this world. Very fun. Uh, he's going to become fun. a sky pirate. So there's this duology, which then will lead into, I have another duology planned, which then um, I have, uh, if you're watching this on something you could watch, I have artwork behind me that I have yet to turn into a book. So uh, I have plans of using artwork that I commissioned years ago to be a book cover. I think that's fabulous that that <laughs> you can visualize a story well enough to have an artist create art that you then grab the story out of. I think that's a fabulous process. Yeah. The artwork that I commissioned, it was the first piece that I got from this guy. Um, uh, lives in uh, Portugal. And he was the, I saw this piece of art, or I saw him, doing other art and I said oh I want you to do this thing and so it's actually two characters that wouldn't have been in this scene so I'm going to kind of retcon the whole everything to to make it work because I, I oh, really fun. love this art He's a, um, reverse so. engineering as art as your starting point I think that's exactly a, yes that's an incredible exactly. thing thank you yeah. so much Jamie for sharing your stories with us and I thank know you, you have many me. more to come back and share with us again so I look forward to that Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you are an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.